This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits, perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity, serving up a powerful yet gentle clean in just 29 minutes. Making this the sound of savings on the best appliance brands. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off the LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity and reduced wash time. Pricing valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. Gas dryer extra. U.S. only. See store or online for details. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 120 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Doug Pinnock from King's X, I want to remind you about Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets tour. Nick Mason, the legendary drummer from Pink Floyd and the only member of Pink Floyd to appear on every Floyd album, is out on the road on the Saucer Full of Secrets tour performing a lot of early Pink Floyd music. The Saucer Full of Secrets tour is headed to Boston on September 22nd and to Providence, Rhode Island on September 25th. And tickets are available now. All the details on the tour can be found in the show notes of this episode. Okay, let's get to this week's guest, Doug Pinnock from the legendary band King's X. If you're a bass player, this episode is a must listen because Doug Pinnock is getting ready to put on a clinic when it comes to songwriting, theory, bass tones, and so much more. And if you're not a bass player, don't let that intimidate you, because Doug Pinnock has a way of talking about music theory in a way that even this purple-haired DJ could understand. Doug grew up in Joliet, Illinois, and was inspired by greats like Sly and the Family Stone, Jimi Hendrix, and Led Zeppelin. And in the 80s, the band King's X was formed. Doug Pinnock is one of the few bass players in hard rock that plays a 12-string bass pretty much all the time. King's X just released their first new album in 14 years. It's available everywhere, and it's called Three Sides of One. So obviously, I had to talk to Doug about why it took so long for the band to come out with new music. But we also talked about his upbringing, his influences, and his search for the perfect bass tone. I really hope he takes me up on that offer to have a radio show. You'll hear about that coming up. Doug is such an amazing and fascinating guy, and he's so open and honest about his life story. It was an absolute joy and honor to talk to him. So allow me to introduce you to Doug Pinnock from King's X.
Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. When I look across from me, I see Doug Pinnock from King's X. (gasps) (laughs) What an honor to talk to you. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Where are you? As soon as I clicked on, Um, you said good morning, and I'm like, um, <laughs> I'm in LA. It's oh, all one right. o'clock actually. Yeah, so it's kind of morning. If you're in a if you're in a rock band, one o'clock in the afternoon's morning. Uh, I'm up at six o'clock. Every day? Every day. Sun comes up, I'm up. Even on the road when you're up playing till eleven, no. twelve, one in the morning? No. On the road, I hit the sack at around three and get up around ten. Oh, all right. I was gonna say you're superhuman no, if you can no. still My get body up. Actually, it's it switches on and off as soon as I walk out the door. It just it always has for the last thirty years. And so really, yeah. Is it a daylight thing? Like I have to leave some of the shades so that I get the mm-hmm. natural light in the morning to wake me up. It does. It does affect me the 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 light. So in hotels, I keep the curtains closed, you know, so that will keep me asleep. I never had the opportunity until COVID to kind of just let my body wake up when it wanted to. Uh-huh. I always woke up to the alarm clock and saying fuck is the first word of the day every day. <laughs> and Oh, what a life. Jesus. <laughs> but but when I when I uh got to sleep without the alarm clock during COVID, my body wakes up naturally at 9:30. I learned that about myself. Good. See, that's the thing about the the pandemic. It taught us a lot about ourselves. Because, you know, the only way you're going to get to know yourself is to stop doing what you're doing and take some time with yourself. Yeah. And the pandemic forced everybody to do that. This is see, I've lived my whole life like that. I I sit and I watch and then I go and I wear myself out and then I sit again and I think and watch. I get a chance to do that because of my profession. And and, and so I have a lot of introspecting, you know, whatever that word is. And I, I feel bad for a lot of people who don't get that when they got kids, they got to work, they got to take care of everybody. They never basically they sleep and then they get up and they're on again, grabbing the kids school, you know, and work and dealing with people that you don't want to work with and doing stuff you don't want to do. God, that must be horrible. I talk to a lot of musicians who actually feel guilty saying that they kind of liked being forced to slow down and stay home because of COVID, that they couldn't work. So they valued that quiet time, that family time. Where did you Mm -hmm. ride the pandemic out? Where did you stay? Well, I I, I live in L.A. and uh, I stayed in my house. I have three roommates. 
Um, so there was, uh, I'm never alone. Um, we do, our, we're all very private. We stay in our rooms, keep doors closed. I'm in my studio here. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, I got the biggest room in the house for my studio and everything. <laughs> so it's cool. But, um, you know, my whole life I've been in a room by myself listening to music or making music or thinking about music. Uh, so for me, the pandemic was nothing different other than we weren't going on tour every now and then, you know. You sure you're not a radio <laughs> DJ? Because that's what it's like for us, too. <laughs> you know, I've always thought about being a DJ. But the problem with is anything that I commit to, then I have to commit to it. And, you know, as soon as I have to be at that station at 10 o'clock every day, I'm not happy anymore. I've You'd always be been saying fuck when the alarm clock went off. Exactly. You know, because but if I if if I woke up, if I went to bed every day going, I can't wait to get to work tomorrow and be a DJ. You know, that's a different story. What I love about playing live is when we go out to play, we know it affects people. We know it makes their day. It makes their year sometimes. You know, we, we've seen people get, uh, find their love at a King's X show. Uh, one guy came up to me and said, my wife put the gun down when she heard uh, uh, Summerland. My, me and my son want to thank you. So it's like when, you, when we go out to play, we know things are going on, even though we might not know it. And, and you just have that sense of, of, of you did something right. Even if you feel like you were horrible and you hated every moment when you're playing, you know, it's, it's the, the reaction coming back from the crowd and doing what you love to do. Uh, it, it, I don't feel guilty. I, but I do feel concerned about other people that, that can't live the life that they've dreamed. And, uh, and I want to be sensitive to that, to, to either help them see some of that that they can't see or give them some encouragement to step outside the little box and see more than what they see. Um, you know, life is too short to waste. And 100% we waste agree. a lot of it. We do. We waste a lot. Yeah. And I think that's <laughs> a lesson that a lot of people are taking from COVID, too, is that, you know, there, there was so much loss. There was so much isolation that just valuing, I know from the rock fans, you never really understood how much you missed being able to get together at a live show until yeah. you couldn't do it anymore. Right. That's why everybody's going crazy right now. This is a roaring 20s all over again. You know? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Every time there's a band comes to town now, they're not playing they're not playing uh, uh, arena anymore, the 15,000 seaters. They're playing the stadiums, you know, 40, 50,000 people. It's what's going on. There's a tour it's bus cool. shortage right now because <laughs> every band on the planet is out on the road and there's a shortage of drivers and buses. Really? Yeah. Tour wow. Tours are getting canceled because they don't have buses to put them out. It's insane. Wow. Yeah. That is insane. Like, well, the bus companies are making money again. Yeah, they are. Oh, God, they make so much money. Oh. Um, one of the things that, that got to change is that normally the musicians would either call me or they'd come into my studio to do interviews. And mm -hmm. now I've had the opportunity to kind of see into the artist world a little bit mm. because you guys are all talking to me from your studios that this is what I built during COVID. This is MCHQ. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a nickname for your studio? Did you name it anything? No. 
I never did. But uh, when I do my solo records, I do them here. And so I, I usually say recorded at Foundation Studios or Pound Hound Studios. I make up some kind of name. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is just my man, Kate. <laughs> you got a collection of, um, is that King's X and career memorabilia behind you? It looks like backstage that passes. Is, Look at that. Yeah, that's, um, here's what happens is as long as I've been making music, when you go out on the road, you grab stuff, you find stuff, postcards, people send you things, they send you presents, stickers, live shows I go to, you know, I, I know so many bands that so I go see them, I get my VIP pass and stuff. So I put them all on the wall and, and end up the wall ends up being completely full. And then I move after like 10 years. So I start <laughs> off. So I start all over again. So I have a, a uh, I have boxes of stuff that's been on my wall through the years, just boxes of them. And this is my latest. Uh, I moved into this place about, about four years ago, and that's what I've gotten so far. The wall's getting full. Stuff over there too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot going on with you because everybody's excited that after a while there's a new King's X record. Right. Shock waves. Like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, it took us 14 years. We just didn't feel like we had anything to offer. I mean, we were doing solo records and 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 side projects, but as for a King's X record, it had to be it had to be something special for the people and we just didn't feel like we had nothing to offer. After after X5 or XD whatever you want to call it, um we just kind of felt like this is we just didn't feel like we there was something missing when we made the last record. We were probably just burnt out. You know, we were just doing each other's songs. And uh, I think Ty and Jerry felt it more than I did. Um, and they just decided we don't want to make another record for a while until we're ready. And I kept going, let's make a record every year, every six months. And they just would like you know, either not respond or kind of go, yeah, okay. And then, you know, nothing would ever happen. So, you know, finally, you know, I, I played them some tunes that I had written about right before the pandemic, before we made the record, because we made the record before the pandemic. And uh, I played them a couple songs and they liked them. And they said, oh, wow, I feel encouraged. And Jerry said, you know, he was like, oh, maybe we can, maybe we can do this. And then they said they had some tunes and so we put them all together and listened to the songs and, you know, pick, pick the songs for the record. And we really liked it. We really had fun. It was like, like being with a bunch of old, old friends who had been away from each other for so long and have grown up a little bit more, you know, we just got along better. You know, there was, there was more of an appreciation for each other. You know, uh, it was really cool. That explains the title of the record, Three Sides of One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we couldn't think of a name for the record. Um, somebody always has a running name, you know, and I love to come up with names for records. But uh, this time it was like, I don't know, making this record, we were so excited about making it. We didn't really think about anything else, about the cover, the, 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 the pictures, the things like that, the name. So at the last minute, our manager calls up and says, dude, we got to name this record. We got, <laughs> we got a release date. The record company's like freaking out. And the baby's going to kindergarten. Can you give it a name? <laughs> right. And nobody's given nobody's given a response. 
So our manager called us up and said, look, come on. And, and he said, uh, well, what about three sides of truth? And I immediately said, no, how about three sides of one? It made more sense. And everybody goes, yeah. And that's where it left it. And done. See you later. <laughs> You've had to name was, a lot of records. You've had to name um, a lot of records over the years. Yes. It's like having kids. The first one is like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. The last one is like, hey, it's OK. It'll be all right. <laughs> Can we go back to the beginning of your musical career? Because I work in music, but I have zero I, I probably owe musical ability in my next life. I have absolutely none, but I love music so much. W was there music in the house? Did it run in the family? Or are you the first musician in the family? I'm one of the first musicians, um, excuse me, in um, my mom's family, which raised me. I was not around my dad's family until I was 14 when I met my dad. Um, so in the Pinnock family, they all love music, but no one plays. No one encourages you to pick up an instrument. There's no instruments laying around, but there's always music going. Somebody's got a record player going. Um, on my dad's side, I found out that his sister was perfect pitched, been playing piano since she was three. Um, all my dad's kids, all seven of them, I've heard them sing, and they sing way better than I do. They just got married, had babies, and they're living their lives, you know. Um, the Bates family, as far as I've seen, uh, my dad's side, they all can sing, they all can dance, they all can draw, they all just, and they're all a little bit off. <laughs> they really are because of, of, of the gifts that they have. And I'm a little bit off too, but my mom, the Pinnock family is my mom's side. Um, they're very analytical. They're very a matter of fact, black and white. So I've got like a double dose of both. So I'm super crazy. But that voice inside my head goes, uh-uh, hang on. <laughs> Don't do that. It's kind Even of an I amazing <laughs> experiment because it kind of you kind of prove that it's not environmental influence, that it's there's got to be a genetic component to musical it's ability. All, it's, it's all genetics. Even you are a musician in your heart. And the thing about you is you can hear music in its purest state because you don't know how to play any of it. And you get the you get the picture. You can sit there and get it like one before I start playing instrument in a band i would just sit there and listen and everything engulfed me and it was beautiful now when i listen to music i hear every individual part i hear what they're doing wrong what they're doing right it's like the sound is not right the kick drum is too muddy the, you know and all of a sudden it's so hard to enjoy music and so be blessed and i and and i also would value your opinion over uh, someone who can play well, because you have a non-biased opinion. That's what it's like to listen to the radio for me. I mm -hmm. just analyze it because I know how it works. But, right. the, but the songs, <laughs> I'm completely naive to the process. That's why I'm so fascinated by it. So I have a theory about music, and I'm curious mm -hmm. your answer. My okay. theory is that there's the soundtrack to your childhood, the stuff you got exposed to on your mom's record player. Mm -hmm. And then there's a day that you discover something on your own 
and you go, that's mine. And that becomes your musical identity on your own. So what was the soundtrack of your mom's house growing up? And then what was it that you heard on your own and you went, okay, that's what I like. Well, my great grandmother raised me till I was 14 and she was a very religious woman and there was no music other than gospel music she played in the house. And it was basically basically the radio. But I had cousins who lived next door who were teenagers that played Little Richard Chuck Berry. It's always then, the cousins. <laughs> then down, then down the street, I had an aunt and uncle who were totally into jazz. Then I had a cousin who was totally into blues. Then I had some more relatives who just played everything in their front yard, and the kids would just come and dance and hang out, and you know, as little kids, seven or eight, nine years old. Now I grew up in the fifties, so right outside Chicago. So the guy would put records in his uh, the trunk of his car and drive to my neighborhood and all black neighborhoods and have the new latest Muddy Waters or B.B. King records in the back of their car and they'd sell them. So my relatives would buy these records. So I was always it was always coming at me. And I was probably the only one that would sit there in front of the record player and listen. All my other cousins and relatives would all play and they do things. But I just would sit there and listen. And um, even in grade school. And even in high school, actually, anytime there was a chance to sing or listen to music or be in something that was making some kind of a sound, I was there. I remember singing in contests when I was 10 years old. Um, and I'd always, I'd always win a blue ribbon. Oh, you know, I was the only black kid in the school and I could sing. And it was like I had this little gift. And it seems like people just took me under their wing as long as I can remember. Uh, first time I remember singing, I had the lady had to get on her knees and she put her hands on my shoulders and she she said, God's giving you a gift. Then she starts speaking in tongues. It was at a church. And I remember looking around going, I just want to go out and play. (laughs) So so for me, there was never that moment. It's always been just uh, this is what I've been doing and seems like people like it. And there's no reason to not do it because it's fun. (laughs) It was just, that's my lot in life, you know. All the other stuff that happened in my life, just like anybody else, I've had my trauma, you know. uh, You know, my mother was kicked out of the house when I was three and I I couldn't see her, you know. So that devastated me until I got to move in with her. Um, I didn't meet my dad until I was 14. And he said, what do you want? I ain't got no money. And I says, well, I dated my cousin, my first cousin, who's your brother's illegitimate daughter. So I want to know your kids and I want to know you, you know. So he took me to meet his seven kids and his wife. And I was the same age as his second daughter. And he says, hey, everybody, this is my son, Doug. And his wife started crying. So, so you know, it's like I've had my bouts with all that kind of stuff like anybody else has. But I was able to put it in the music. Did you and keep a journal did you did you always write? When did you go from just knowing you could sing to knowing you could craft songs and channel all of this life experience into it? When I was 18, I started singing in a, my first rock band. And that was when I started writing lyrics and just making lyrics up. Now, my mother is a lyric writer. She writes poems. She's been writing them all my life. She writes like a calligrapher. That's why. And I have her gift because I love to write out things. I write lyric King's X lyrics to people on black paper and silver ink. And, 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 uh, I've got this reckless, uh, uh, way I write. It's like a Hallmark card, but the guy has ADD. 
it's very artistic. My mother always said, I can't understand. I can't read your writing. It is fancy though. But her writing was like a Hallmark card. It was perfect. And she had boxes of poems that she would never show us. And then I thought, wow, I must've got that lyric thing from my mom, you know? So, and my dad, uh, uh, wanted to sing jazz he told me when he was a kid um his he inspired um what was he he, he sang like billy Eckstein. that's what his voice is like this really deep soothing voice so you know i've learned all this stuff years later after i've been out here doing what i do but you know you learn from your family history and stuff that this is where I came from. And this is why, you know, and I, I'm, you know, I'll be 72 in a few days. Wow. And so I got, I, I look back at all the things that I've got to accomplish and learn. So I've, I've got a better picture of who I am, what I'm doing and what I've done. And, and I've lightened up on my criticism so much. <laughs> you look really good for 72. Thank you. Thank you. I got a big birthday coming up in October and I'm like, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, Life is how you make it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Getty Lee in a recent interview said no one starts out playing the bass. They play guitar, join a band with too many guitar players and somebody gets voted in as the bass player. That was a Getty Lee quote. Did you grow up playing the bass? Was it your intention or did you just get voted in? I didn't know there was guitar in a band until I was in a rock band who had a guitar and they had a keyboard player. And I was used to being around keyboards, so I just would go over to the keyboards while nobody was around and write songs on key- on the keyboard and then show them to the guys and tell them, I can't play very well, but play this part faster. And, we'll, you know, and, you know, guitar was the last thing on my mind. Even to this day, I write I write all my songs on guitar now since King's X. Uh, since the eighties, since there's no keyboard players in the band, in, in a, in a band that I'm in anymore. Um, 1980, when I got with King's X, we were just guitar player. And, uh, so I grabbed the guitar and started plunking on my guitar, making up parts. And that's what taught me how to write, how to play guitar to the point where 40 years later, I play guitar too, but it ain't because I sat down and I wanted to be a guitar player. Um, bass is something that I have been obsessed with ever since I was six or seven. I heard Why Do Fools Fall in Love by Frankie Lyman and the teenagers at my cousin's house. And I remember the bass. And I went, whoa. And I turned my head and I sat there. And I remember I was so obsessed with that sound that I memorized that bass line in my head. To this day, I can sing it to you. Um, and from that point on, it seems like everything I listened to, I focused on the bass. If there's a music fan that that doesn't understand the instrument's roles in a band, I, I think out of any instrument, the bass is the least understood. So yeah. can you talk about what you believe the bass's role in a band and in a song is? Well, the drummer is supposed to give you that solid beat. Okay, doesn't move forward or moves behind. It's like right there. He controls everything. Bass player comes in and lays down a riff that everybody else can dance on top of. That's why I look at it. The guitar, the singer, the keyboard player, everybody dances on top of the drums and the bass. But the drums and the bass are a unit. 
And I let the drums be the drums and I find my space with the drums. And that's where the joy comes. And then, and the greatest thing to hear from people is you guys are a great rhythm section. I'd rather hear that than say, you're a great bass player. It's like, no, when you two play together, ooh, this magic, like Led Zeppelin, you know, they were like that. You could just listen to drums and bass and go, my God, what the fuck are they doing? You know, and that's where I look at it is, is that's how important we are. And even though we don't get any credit or really a lot of love, I don't, um, I don't suffer because I'm a singer. <laughs> so, you know, I get all the attention. You know, everybody wants to talk to Doug. They want to ask Doug the questions because they think I'm, you know, the singer is the guy everybody looks at and talks to. But if I just played bass in King's X, I'd be over in the corner going, nobody loves me. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the honest truth is that I get, I get way more love for singing and lyrics than I do for playing bass. I don't get a lot of love for playing bass and I don't get any hate. Don't get me wrong. No, you get love um, from bass players. Every yes. bass player I know, really? when I told them I was going to talk to you, they lost their minds. I want to say hi to my friend, Sean. He's a fantastic bass player. Lost his mind when he found out I was oh, talking wow. to you. Yeah. Bless you. Well, thanks for telling me that. Because uh, I guess you just, you know, you don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk to me about tone? Because... I get into a lot of conversations with guitar players, uh, mm -hmm. not as many with bass players because a lot of them don't do the interviews. But, but <laughs> where do you think your tone comes from? Because I can it's, tell you, yeah, please. Oh yeah, I, there's there's four or five different places. Bear with me, okay? Because yeah, we got a few more minutes. Bring it on. Um, we can start out with grand piano. When you play a low note on the grand piano. It's just bong. It has this resonance, this bright tone, but it's deep. And you still always go, whoa, I love that. Then I started playing baritone sax when I was 12. I only played for six months and uh, I gave it back to the school because, you know, summer came and I was a poor little black boy, so I couldn't afford one. But I remember playing that saxophone and it was almost as tall as me. It almost drugged the ground when I played it. And he used to go, and I used to love the low notes, the, the tone of it. And then I used to, I'd go to my cousin's house and watch American Bandstand. And big band music had baritone saxes. And I always just loved that, that feeling, that roundness to the tone. And tubas too. So I'm hearing all this stuff. And then I heard a bass upright bass and it just all kind of blended into this thing and so when I first started playing bass I was looking for that kind of a the way to interpret it that way but I didn't know how because I didn't find any bass amps that uh sounded like that um so but then I heard a live version of the who doing talking about my generation my generation and there was this one spot where John Entwistle does that all by himself and I'm going there's that tone oh whoa and I used to play it over and over again go how do you get that so I went to the music store and I said how do I get that like dang a dang 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 sound you know that it's like a rubber band or something you know because I didn't know what to call it 
And the and the guy says, I don't know what you talk about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so about a year later, I heard Roundabout by Yes. And there was that tone again, that bass tone. And I'm going, okay, what is this? And I got to see Yes live. And he had a bass amp and a guitar amp standing next to each other. And he was playing to both of them. And I went, that's how he gets that sound with the guitar amp. So um, that's that was in the back of my mind. And by the time I joined up with King's X, we were working and we got a record deal. And our manager said, what do you guys need? We have some money that came in because we're getting ready to go tour. We need to buy stuff. And I go, I need a bass amp and a guitar amp. And he goes, are you sure? I go, yeah, it's crucial. <laughs> and I got, I got the, the Fender amp, I think it was, in a Ampeg bass amp. I plugged the two up and I went clang. And I went, there it is. <laughs> and from that point on, I've been just honing it in until I got my own pedal. Well, I'm so glad I asked you the question because it's not anywhere <laughs> near the answer I thought you were going to give me. Way more <laughs> fascinating. Um, Good. Before I let you go, I have to ask you this songwriting question because I ask songwriters this again because I'm so envious of the craft. So it's a songwriter's question um, about the actual construction of songs. Can you give me an Mm -hmm. example or two of a song from any genre, any era, any artist, that doesn't matter, that you are so envious of that you covet it and wish you wrote it. An example of what you think perfect songwriting is, but then you got to break it down and tell me why. Two songs, My Generation by The Who and Roundabout by Yes. We'll start out with Yes, not only because of the bass tone, but that song is the template for everything that I write. It was the first time I heard a song with a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, then a chorus, and then an outro. I've been listening to soul music, so there was usually no lead in the middle or, you know, and the song was just two chords and you danced. And when I heard Roundabout, it was like, what is this? And it, it made my brain explode with ideas. And then the middle part where they do the part that goes and they played that eight times and over top of it in three part harmony that had nothing to do with the riff out of the cliff. And I went, I got to figure this out. And I sat down and I learned that bass line and learned to sing the two together. It was the hardest thing I ever done. And from that point on, it was like, all right, ain't no stopping now. And so from that point on, everything I wrote had to have some kind of, uh, what's the word, complication that made me work to play two things at the same time and independently. Um, And that became a kind of a goal to be able to stand there and play my bass and sing and, 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 and the two have split my brain into and uh so that song is the one that really taught me about songwriting in many ways uh the other thing about that song also was it you know it was prog music so there were time changes and like uh, a lot of things that were not normal in the song and hearing that helped me to go, okay, well, we can step outside the box and make stuff up that's not normal. 
And so that was that was one song. The other song is My Generation, because the whole thing about that song was they would go up a half step after they did the verse and chorus. They go only a half step. Now, in music theory, a half step after you've done a whole song or like a verse and a chorus, verse and chorus, and then you go up a half step and do the whole song a half step higher, it makes the ear sound like it's a new song. Takes away the boredom. And who did that with my generation? And so that's always been in the back of my mind, the audio illusion of keeping somebody's interest without boring them and without going over the top where they, uh, it was too much, you know? So, and that's always been the battle at everything I write now. How can I find that balance? Sometimes I'll go this way. Sometimes I'll go that way. But, you know, if that's the front of, of my reality of writing music. You should be a DJ in the radio when you don't feel like being a bass player anymore because you can explain musical theory in a way that non-musicians understand very well. Because what you. you're talking about is complicated stuff for, for a musician, but as a non-musician, I think mm -hmm. I understood everything you just said. <laughs> Awesome. That's a That's gift. Important. Yeah. That's very important. Thank you. Thank you. I remember that because in my, in my old age, you know, since, you know, touring is something I want to do and I love to do, but you know, you get to an age where it's not always as much fun as it used to be. I've been thinking about doing clinics and just going to places and sit down and just talk to people and they ask questions and we have these great conversations like we're having right now. Well, if you ever want to get into radio and you need a co-host to push the buttons for you, I'll do it for you. Okay. hundred percent. hundred percent. Thank awesome. you so much for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate it. You're a fascinating guy and Thank just you. so talented and a legend. And I was so excited when you said, yes, you'd sit down with me. So thank you. Awesome. And just to let you know, you write, you ask the greatest questions. Thank you. You really do for somebody who's not a musician. I always think about, look, if I just started asking you dumb questions, I'm going to have to go back to my friend, Sean and all my other bass playing friends. And they are going to mm -hmm. give me shit for yeah. asking you dumb questions. <laughs> well, I have to, I have to say that, that um, I don't get dumb questions but they're always the same questions. Yeah. This it's, it's almost like the interviewer has a list of things that he thinks that people want to hear and, and it's okay, but it's, it's sort of a, a one train of thought and you are all outside the box, which would made it fun. Well, so remember that the audience wants to, they love you already because they love your music. And so they want to know you. And I feel like it's my job because I'm the fortunate one to get to talk to you, to give them an idea of who you are as a person because they already love your music. Awesome. Well, the new album, it's, it's, it's out after all <laughs> these years. It's about time you guys got back to work. <laughs> yeah, I have a knot in work, so. You know, it's, it's about time we put a record out. I'll yeah, say, you know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was so great to You're meet welcome. you today. Have a wonderful afternoon. Okay, you too. See ya. And happy birthday. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> there he is, the one and only Doug Pinnock from King's X. Oh, I could talk to that guy for hours. 
The new King's X album, Three Sides of One, is available everywhere. And some of that music and all of the other music that we referenced in this interview can be found on the episode's corresponding playlist. It's linked in the show notes. A corresponding playlist comes out with every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast so that you don't have to go hunting for the songs we were talking about. In the show notes, you will also find all of King X's links, all of Doug Pinnock's links, and you'll even find all the Mistress Carrie links too. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and follow the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep. The Situation Report features all of your rock news, music headlines, and entertainment info in less than five minutes. Plus, you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode. You can join me live every week, Tuesday nights at 8.30 Eastern for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room, on my Facebook page. And you can always join me on the radio on The Mistress Carrie Show. Get the links to all that and more at MistressCarrie.com. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE appliances, complete with all you need to keep food fresh, dishes clean, and everything else stress-free. Making this the sound of savings on top brand appliances. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Get up to 25% off select GE appliances right now. Offer valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. U.S. only. See store or online for details.